Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Three, two, one. But I've worked it out. I love to listen to your podcast. Whenever you say something, other people react to it. Taking my breath away, Aaron. Fern Lundquist joins me. Hall Welcome of Famer, Jim Calhoun, NASCAR icon, Dale Earnhardt Jr. Kirk Herbstreet is Sports on the phone. Podcast presented by Betfred Sportsbook. We it is Wednesday, go. January 25th, 2022. People, I hope everybody's doing well. I hope everybody is having a great day. Forgive me for the background. I am recording from a hotel, but we got ourselves a loaded episode of the Aerator Sports Podcast. Here is what you need to know about today's show. One football topic to lead the show. Have you noticed what's going on at Alabama? They lost their defensive coordinator last week. They lost their offensive coordinator this week. It sounds like a terrible situation. This is actually the best case scenario for Alabama. I explain. And then from there, we get to a busy, 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 busy week in college hoops. Monday, Duke and Kansas both lose. I tell you who you should be. You should be a little bit worried about both, but there is one you definitely need to be worried about more. What's wrong with each and how does it get fixed? And then finally, we're going to wrap. How about them Kentucky Wildcats fourth straight win on Tuesday night at Vanderbilt? They smack them. And I think Kentucky has finally turned a corner also. Kentucky fans, I will make you a promise by the end of today's show. With that said, though, let's get to the topic of the day. And the topic of the day, I will tell you, it's late January. It does feel like college football is starting to slow down. Transfer portal is closed. Most of the best players have found landing spots. National championship has been decided. Bowl games on and on and on and on and on. I know there's a player or two left to commit in the 2023 class. But it feels like, for the most part, we're, we're kind of past college football and into college basketball. But there is one piece of news that continues to kind of keep the college football news cycle going. It came Tuesday morning, and here is what you need to know. Bill O'Brien, Alabama's offensive coordinator, took the offensive coordinator coaching job with the New England Patriots. And so, if you're the Alabama Crimson Tide, this is what I'm doing. If you're watching on YouTube, you see me kind of just looking around. I'm trying to figure out Alabama's got the best coach of all time, the number one recruiting class, all the facilities in the world, but they're missing two very important things. They're missing their offensive coordinator. They're missing a defensive coordinator. It is January 25th and they have zero coordinators right now in Tuscaloosa. And so it's really interesting, right? Because I, I, I do think that 
in the past, I think everybody would have kind of freaked out and tried to figure out what's going on. I should mention, by the way, in addition to Bill O'Brien taking the New England Patriots offensive coordinator job, Pete Golding, the defensive coordinator, left last week for the same job at Ole Miss. And so, like I said, I think there'd be kind of this belief, even if it was two, three, five, ten years ago, like what's wrong in Alabama? What's going on? Why did both coordinators leave? I am here to tell you right now, today, this second, that this was by design. This is what Nick Saban wanted. And I believe this is not only the best thing for Alabama football, I'm going to take it a step further. I think this shows me that Nick Saban has the edge back that is needed to get Alabama back to the top of college football. Not saying it's going to happen. It's not going to be easy with the way Georgia's rolling right now. The Big Ten's going to be good next year with Michigan, Ohio State, Penn State. LSU's coming up. Texas A&M is at least interesting, always plays Alabama tough. So I'm not here to say Alabama solved everything by firing both, or not firing, but getting rid of both coordinators. But what I am here to tell you, this is by design, and this is a good thing for Alabama. And so it's interesting because I think if you don't follow Alabama football on a day-to-day basis, you'd probably sit there and say, well, Torres, like, well, like, what do you mean this is good? How can it be good that both of these guys are leaving? Again, it's by design. And again, I think it goes back to this past season. At most schools, 11-2, and two, Sugar Bowl appearance, that's good enough. Think about it in two years from now. 11-2 easily gets you into the college football playoff. And I think at all but maybe three or four schools, that is a successful season. 11-2, get to the playoff, lose in round one, whatever. That ain't the standard at Alabama. Not where Nick Saban has won six national championships. And even this time last year was coming off a title game appearance where they lost to Georgia. And so why this these two moves specifically are important is this is that if you look at Alabama this season specifically, you couldn't place the 11-2, and two, losing to LSU, losing to Tennessee, and almost getting beat by Texas, Texas A&M, Ole Miss. You can't place it on one thing. If you go back to this season, it was really both sides of the ball that struggled. Offensively, the offense was way too reliant on Bryce Young. And as the season went on, It was Bryce Young this, it was Bryce Young that, a little bit of Jameer Gibbs. But what did you start to hear about Alabama? You started to hear, well, the wide receivers just aren't good enough. The O-line just isn't good enough. And what I kept saying during the season is, I said Nick Saban is the greatest coach of all time. He's also the greatest talent evaluator of all time. So you mean to tell me, over the last three years, the greatest coach and the greatest talent evaluator of all time missed on every single wide receiver he recruited except for Jamison Williams, who we got out of the portal last year. And every single offensive lineman that he's recruited over the last three years, a sorry, I don't buy it. Something was happening when those kids got to campus. Something was happening when those kids got in that facility, and it wasn't good enough, and it wasn't to the standard of Alabama. Defensively, it was kind of the same thing. Don't go and look at the season-long stats, because Alabama was great against Utah State and Vanderbilt and um, whoever. Uh, you know, some of the teams that they played that were kind of on the lower level of things. But look at who Alabama was in their big games. Look at the fact that Tennessee jumped up 28 to three before Alabama even knew what happened. Look at the fact that Quinn Ewers was moving the ball up and down the field before Alabama even knew what happened. And if Quinn Ewers doesn't get hurt in that game, I think most of us think Texas wins. Arkansas was moving the ball early in their game. Texas A&M 
was in a position to win that game. Now, that wasn't really the defense, so maybe it's not fair to talk about Texas A&M. But I bring it up because that was the situation with Alabama, is that on defense, they looked completely lost. There were two or three games where they came in completely unprepared, and that's on top of the offense that in the two years that Bill O'Brien was in charge, they really couldn't get any production out of wide receiver except for one guy. The offensive line was in shambles, never established a run game, That is who Alabama football has been the last two years. By the way, it speaks to the fact that it's pretty incredible that they still went 11-2 and this year, and their two losses were on the final play of the game. But what this says to me is that Nick Saban looked himself in the mirror this offseason and said, you know what? I don't really care about 11-2. I don't really care about almost good enough. My standard is the best team in college football hoisting that trophy at the end of the year, and we don't have that right now. And so what I love about this is this is Nick Saban saying, this is not good enough. We need to be better and we are going to start from scratch. And so the one thing about Nick Saban, I don't think he gets enough credit for. We talk about the X's and O's, the wins, the losses, the recruiting, the recruiting classes. What we don't talk about is his ability to evaluate coaches. Lane Kiffin saved his career. Steve Sarkeesian saved his career. People forget. Brian Dable, that guy with the New York Giants that everybody was praising up until this weekend against the Philadelphia Eagles, he coached at Alabama for a year under Nick Saban. Defensively, Kirby Smart, Jeremy Pruitt, who we're going to get to in a minute, on and on. And so what I love about these two moves from Nick Saban, he kind of forced him out. He didn't have to fire him. It doesn't have to look bad. Now he can go get the guys that he wants. In terms of who's next, I'll just be blunt. I made some phone calls over the last couple of days knowing that Pete Golding was out as the defensive coordinator and that Bill O'Brien was going to be. I don't think there's an obvious answer. If Nick Saban knows who he wants, he's hiding it really well. A couple names for the offensive coordinator job. Jeff Lebby, who actually worked for Lane Kiffin last year at Ole Miss. Two years ago at Ole Miss, he was at Oklahoma this past year. That would not surprise me at all. Kind of comes from that Art Bryles coaching tree. A lot of passing, a lot of this, a lot of that. Um, but he's been at Oklahoma the last year. I think it would make sense for him to get out right now. Oklahoma feels like a sinking ship, especially as they go in the SEC. I also saw some um, some Joe Brady, who was the offensive coordinator, or he was the passing game coordinator for LSU during their title run. He says he doesn't want to come back to college football. But if you can go to that Nick Saban coaching rehab, and in two years you're going to be a head coach, it's probably worth it. I've seen a little bit of Cliff Kingsbury who's in Thailand right now, hanging out by the pool. I even saw a little Scott Frost. Our our, our guy who runs uh, the Torres on Bama Twitter page is adamant that he wants Scott Frost. I don't know if I see that one. But the point is Nick Saban is going to have his pick of guys that he wants. The defensive coordinator position, I think, is going to be really interesting. Bama fans want uh, Jeremy Pruitt. I don't know if it's going to happen. I don't know if Greg Sankey is going to stand in the way as Tennessee is currently under investigation for the the indiscretions of Jeremy Pruitt, but that is the guy that Bama fans want. But the bottom line is I could go on and on about who's a candidate, who's not a candidate, what does it mean, who's, who's legit, who's not. That doesn't really matter. What matters today, this second, as I record with the hotel room in the background, what matters today is that Nick Saban said to himself, you know what, being good isn't good enough. You two, we're going to make sure you find a landing spot so I don't look bad. But y'all got to get out of here, and we got to get better people in these positions. I think it's a great sign for Alabama, and I'll tell you this. It does feel like Nick Saban's on a little bit of a tear since the end of the season. 
destroys Kansas State in the Sugar Bowl, signs the number one recruiting class by a mile in college football, and now he's going to go hire two coordinators, and I bet he's going to knock them both out of the park. All right, so what I want to do, take a quick break, come back, a lot of college hoops. Kansas, they lose. Duke, they lose. What does that mean for each? And oh, by the way, Kentucky got the dub against uh, Vanderbilt. Four straight wins for them. They're starting to get really interesting. Going to take a quick break, talk Kentucky, talk Kansas, talk Duke. Be right back. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino. With cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. All right, we're getting back to the show in a minute. But before we do, I want to welcome back our presenting sponsor, Betfred Sportsbook and the Betfred Sportsbook app. By now, you know Betfred's story. Started in 1967 in the UK. Over 1,600 shops in the UK have come to the United States and made a major splash. They are the presenting sponsor of the Cincinnati Bengals, Colorado Rockies, Denver Broncos. And what I love about working with Betfred, nobody does more for their customers than Betfred does. Okay, I've told you before, but I'm going to keep telling you. Cincinnati Bengals games, that Betfred suite is rocking. They had a New Year's Eve into New Year's Day party for the launch of sports betting in the state of Ohio. Shout out to all of you who were there. Obviously, beyond that, there is the Denver Broncos VIP tailgates. We have sent listeners of this show to those tailgates. Colorado Rockies, first pitch at those games. Betfred does more for their customers than anybody, and here is what they are doing. For listeners of the Aaron Torres podcast, okay, it's what you got to do. Bet 50 on any game, and new users, how about this, get up to $1,000 in free bets. There are no catches. There are no gimmicks. Here's what you need to know. Bet 50 on any game, you get automatically $111 in free bets. But beyond that, you get $200 insurance on your first five weeks as a Betfred customer. So you decided, hey, I'm going to bet this big game, 100 bucks, 200 bucks, whatever. You end up losing it. They're going to insure you for that game. So up to five weeks, up to $200, plus $111 for signing up for Betfred today. You're going to want to do it. Download the Betfred Sportsbook app. Tell them Torres sent you. Thank you to our presenting sponsor, the Betfred Sportsbook. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on Chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, 
even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the chumba life. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. All right, everybody. I am back. Good to be back. Good to be back. I do want to switch gears. And, and, and what I want to do now is I, I want to switch gears to college hoops because I'll say this. I was talking to some friends this week. This really does feel like the first week that everybody is really kind of all invested on college basketball, right? Um, listen, you know, you you have your team, you follow your team, this and that. But college football, college football playoff, the bowl games, national championship, college, uh, the portal, everything's done. The championship has been played. George is the national champion. The portal is closed. We know where basically everybody is going. And so it feels like we really did this week turn the page to college hoops And because of it, what I want to do now is just spend a few minutes talking about some of the big storylines in college hoops this week, Monday and Tuesday. And I really want to start on Monday because we had two mega results on Monday, two teams, two blue blood programs that I think everybody kind of always has in that national championship picture. They both took losses. They both are struggling. And I want to talk about each. Then we'll get to the Tuesday night results. Kentucky smacks Vanderbilt and might have turned a corner. A couple other odds and ends from Tuesday. But let's go back to Monday because there were two results that are worth monitoring, worth talking about. The first one came in Blacksburg, Virginia, where Duke fell to Virginia Tech 78-75. And then later on in the evening, Kansas lost to Baylor at Baylor 75-69. And so I had a bunch of you DM me, Torres, what do you think? Torres, who's screwed? Torres, who's fine? What are the deal? What do we need to know? All that good stuff. So let's talk about both, which one you should be concerned about. Should you be concerned about either? Because I'll be honest, I think there is one of those two teams that you should be very concerned about. And there's another that I'm not really that worried about at all. So let's start with the two games. The first one, Duke plays on Monday night, the early 7 p.m. Eastern game. And again, they lose at Virginia Tech. Final score in that one, 78-75. There was a controversial call late. Listen, was it the reason they lost the game? I don't know. But what I would say is, I think on paper, and by the way, I, I don't think it's why they lost the game. They they had they had chances late. They didn't take advantage of all that good stuff. But why I bring it up is because I think there's a few people that probably, if you're not really following college hoops 365, you'd sit there and say, well, Torres, I mean, come on. I mean, Virginia Tech, that's a tough place to play. Blacksburg, weird arena. Other teams have lost before. Duke actually historically has struggled in Blacksburg. And what I would say is you're absolutely right. There's just one problem. This specific Virginia Tech team in this specific season has not been great. They were great in the Ottawa Conference, dealt with some injuries since ACC play started. Here is Duke's re- or here is Virginia Tech's resume in ACC play. Entering Monday night, Virginia Tech was one and seven in ACC play. They were on a seven-game losing streak. The last win they had in ACC play. Now, admittedly, it was against North Carolina at home. So how about this? They swept North Carolina and Duke at home. Just one problem. They have lost seven straight ACC games since then. One in seven in ACC play. Uh, Two of those losses are at home. And so you can't just sit here and say, well, you know, I mean, Virginia Tech's just good at home. No, they've been really bad for a month now. And Duke loses on the road to Virginia Tech. And when I look at Duke in the big picture and the small picture, listen, this isn't going to be a... anti-Duke, Duke stinks, screw Duke. Like, that's not what this is about, okay? They're going to make the NCAA tournament. They have some nice wins. 
They beat Xavier on a neutral court. Xavier looks really good right now as they get set to play UConn tonight. Um, they beat Ohio State at home. They have a nice neutral court win over Iowa. So this isn't like a Duke's not going to make the tournament. Let me go all hot take Torres on you. Like That's not what this is about. But what I will say is a couple things stand out about Duke. First off, it is the end of January. And I still don't really know who Duke is, what they are, and what they do well. Now, part of it is injuries. I will say that. Uh, Derek Whitehead, their star freshman, out early, comes back, hasn't been 100%, gets hurt in that Virginia Tech game. As I record here on Tuesday night, we don't know a ton about his status. Derek Lively was out early. The starting point guard, Jeremy Roach, was also out. But at the same time, you know who else has dealt with injuries? Arkansas, Kentucky. How about Alabama? Alabama's been without their best perimeter defender, Namari Burnett, for weeks now. That He just came back on Saturday against Missouri. So I don't want to hear about injuries. Nobody cares. You're Duke. And a couple things stand out about Duke. One, I don't know who they are. Like, I don't know what they do and what they do well. One thing about a really well-coached team, and sometimes it takes time. This is not to say that Duke will never figure it out. But you kind of know who they are and what they're about and, and, and how they play. Purdue. They play through their center, Zach Eady. Um, you know, Kentucky now is starting to play through that trio of guards. Cason Wallace, CJ Frederick, Antonio Reeves. We're going to discuss them coming up. Kansas plays through Jalen Wilson, their star wing. We're going to talk about Kansas in a minute. Baylor is all about their three guards, Adam Flagler, LJ Cryer, and Keontae George. I could go on and on and on. I don't know who Duke is or what they are or what they want to do. And that to me, is an obvious problem, right? Beyond that, and I think this is where, if I'm a Duke fan, I'm not I'm not checked out of the John Shire era by any stretch of the imagination. Listen, I'm guilty of, of all this stuff, right? I react in real time to what is going on. A year ago, I was the guy saying, I don't know if Hubert Davis is the right guy. So to be clear, this is not a fire John Shire, he's not the answer. That's not what this is about. But what I will say is this, is that Duke, for the last seven, eight years, they have basically said, you know what? We're going to recruit the best of the best high school players and we're going to make it work in one-year increments under Coach K. Zion Williamson, Jason Tatum, Kyrie Irving, Jaleel Okafor, Tyus Jones, Justice Winslow, on and on and on and on and on. Well, here's the thing about this specific Duke team in the first year post-Coach K. They have five five-star freshmen on the roster. First one. Kyle Filipowski, I would say he has exceeded expectations, leading the team in points and rebounds, 15 points, a little under 10 rebounds per game. He's playing really well. Tyrese Proctor, a guard from Australia, late signee, was the part of the 2023 class, reclassifies. I'd say he's playing pretty well. He's fine. I don't think anybody expected him to be a star. Here's where the problem is. I would argue that of their five five stars, three of them are not playing up to their capabilities right now. One, Derek Whitehead, he was the best player in this class, according to some recruiting services. Now, again, he's dealt with injuries. And again, he did deal with an injury on Monday night at Virginia Tech. I hope that he is okay. Don't want him to be hurt. Never wish ill will upon anybody. But he is a guy that whether he's dealing with injuries or whatever, he has not been the guy that he was sold to be. This season, and he was just starting to come into his own, which is a shame, He's averaging eight and a half points, two rebounds, and one and a half one and a half assists per game. That doesn't sound like the number one high school player in America. Let's keep it going. Mark Mitchell, top 10 prospect. Everybody loves him. He's a lefty wing. He's going to be good. College player, built for college. Nine and a half points per game. And then how about this? 
Derek Lively, a player who in some recruiting services was the number one high school player in America last year. And I will tell you, I remember being at the Pangos All-American camp in the summer of 2021. That was the year that Jalen Duran was there. Derek Lively was a teammate of Jalen Duran's in AAU. This was before Jalen Duran reclassified. I talked to multiple NBA people because they are allowed at the Pangos All-American camp. They said they thought Jalen Duran was not as good of a prospect as Derek Lively, his teammate. Well, Derek Lively in 18 games in Duke this year is currently averaging four points, three and a half rebounds per game. That is not going to get it done. And so when I look at Duke, if I'm Duke, I'm worried in the short term and the long term for this reason. In the short term, I don't know who they are. I'll just be blunt. I think they need to play through Kyle Filipowski. I don't think they want to because that takes away from what all of those other guys do. And we all know how recruiting works. When you recruit a bunch of really high-level guys, I'm not saying John Shire made any promises, but you kind of lay out a vision for them. And I don't think any of the vision included Kyle Filipowski, everything going through him. So I think they should play through Kyle Filipowski. I don't think they will. And here's the problem. If three of your five stars are underachieving, if three of your five stars, if that could hurt their draft stock, guess what? That's going to be bad news when you go back on the recruiting trail. Now, the good news for Duke, they're already set with their 2023 class. Mackenzie and Baco, I think, might be the best player in this class. Committed to Duke, signed with Duke. Sean Stewart was named to McDonald's All-American on Tuesday. A couple other guards, really good. Jared McClain, near where I'm from. I could go on and on. Really good class for 2023. But as John Shire and his staff get set to go back on the road in 2024, I think they're going to have to answer some tough questions. And this is what I said, by the way. Listen, I get a lot of stuff wrong. Where Aaron was right, where Aaron was wrong. I get a lot of stuff wrong. But one thing I said with John Shire, I said, you're not really going to know what kind of recruiter he is until the 2024 class. Because the 2022 class currently playing at Duke was recruited when Mike Krzyzewski was still there. The 2023 class was recruited before John Shire ever played a game. 2024 is where you're going to find out how John Shire is as a coach. Those kids that are currently juniors in high school right now, they're getting to watch John Shire as a head coach. Now, I still think it's going to be another cycle or two because all these kids grew up watching Zion, watching Jason Tatum, watching Kyrie Irving play college basketball, and they all associate college basketball with Duke. But I'm just telling you, if I was a Duke fan, I'd be a little bit worried because if you don't think all of these schools are going to use this on the recruiting trail of, you can go to Duke, but what has John Shire done? We know what Coach K has done, but what has John Shire done? We know Coach Cal can develop NBA players. We know Eric Musselman can develop NBA players. In a short time, Nate Oates has proven an ability to develop NBA players. Um, You know, I'm trying to think who else. UCLA, Mick Cronin, USC, Andy Enfield has a lot of NBA guys. So I'm not saying USC is recruiting against Duke. North Carolina, by the way, we talked about Ian Jackson a few weeks ago. I'm just saying, if I was a Duke fan, I'd be worried because I think this is something that's going to have a trickle-down effect for Duke. Keep an eye on that. Um, Duke loses to Virginia Tech. I have gone on long enough on Duke. Let's keep it going with Monday night because a second result immediately after the Duke game was Kansas playing Baylor on the road. And I'll be blunt. Listen, one thing about me, you can fight me. You can argue me. You can tell me you hate me. You love me, whatever. When I get stuff wrong, boy, do I get stuff wrong and I'm not afraid to talk about it. Well, Monday night, what did I say? 
it's Kansas. It's Bill Self. There's no way they lose three games in a row. They can't do it. It's Kansas. Bill Self will never lose three games in a row. Well, what happened? They went to Baylor, and they were largely outplayed in that game. Final score, 75-69. to 69. Uh, Dominated in the first half. Made a run the beginning of the second half. But I'll be blunt. Listen, we live in a world, sports betting. Baylor was a two-point favorite in the Betfred Sportsbook. I took Kansas plus two. I took Kansas money line, which means I took Kansas to win, even though they were an underdog. And I just got it wrong. And so with it, Kansas has now lost three in a row. They lost at Kansas State, TCU at home, Baylor on the road. And a lot of people are saying, what's wrong with Kansas and can it be fixed? Remember, this was a Kansas team that as of literally like 10 days ago, you want to know how quickly things can change in college basketball. 10 days ago, Kansas was sitting at 16-1 and overall, 5-0 and and atop the, the Big 12. Currently 16-4, and 5-3 and in the uh, Big 12. And so the question becomes, what's wrong with Kansas? And what I will say, I want to give credit to my buddy, Jamie and Christian. Jamie and Christian, contributor, Aaron Torres Media, uh, former uh, former Division One head coach at Mount St. Mary's. He texted me, and, and Zach Kroll, too, from College Hoops Daily. He texted me probably about, I don't know, a week ago. He said, I think this Kansas team is flawed. I don't want to say I ignore Jamie and Division One head coach. That's not what I'm saying at all. But what I am saying is, I said, ah, it's Kansas, it's Bill Self, he'll figure it out. Well, I think Jamian was right, and I think this Kansas team has some real fundamental issues. What are those issues? Well, their two best players are wing players. Jalen Wilson is an All-American. We dropped our All-American list on Aaron Torres Media, uh, AaronTorresOnline.com, for those of you who want to see our All-American first, second, third team. Jalen Wilson, 21.5 points per game, 9 assists per game, 35% three-point shooter, he made our first team All-American list. Grady Dick, their star freshman, averaging 15 points, five rebounds, 44% three-point shooting. Really good, did not quite make our third team All-American list, but he is a really good player. But what Jamian told me, Jamian said, Aaron, watch them closely. They don't have a low post presence, and they don't have perimeter presence. And I said, no, 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 man, you can't be right. Jamian's dead right. So remember with Kansas, the thing that Bill Self used to do more than anybody, he used to love to play two bigs together. And then to his credit, he kind of went with this four-out lineup, won a national championship last year. But for years, Kansas has always had a guy in the post that you could just dump the ball down to, and it was an automatic two points. Last year was a kid named David McCormick. Before that, it was Adoka Azabuke, the Morris Twins. Um... If you want to go back in the day, Cole Aldrich. I mean, you could go on and on. Kansas has always had an automatic bucket in the paint. Well, this year, you look at this team, they don't have that guy. Kansas does not have a guy that you can just throw the ball to and it's an automatic two points. That guy does not exist on this roster. Again, two best players, Jalen Wilson and Grady Dick, both wing players. They average about a combined 37 points per game. There's a forward named KJ Adams who averages about 10 points per game, but he's a little bit undersized, not really ready for the big time six foot seven. He's a sophomore. He might get there someday, but he isn't there yet. And then you look at the rest of Kansas's roster. Here's the other thing. They're not getting anything from their guards either, which I think is an important note for this specific Kansas team. This Kansas team, you look at their guards. So again, no low post presence. This is a, a, a team that has had guards throughout the years. 
Ochai Abaji last year, Christian Brown last year, first round NBA draft pick, uh, Frank Mason, Devontae Graham, who's still in the NBA. This year, they have a kid named Dewan Harris, who I think is a really good player, by the way, a really good college player, but he is struggling right now. How about this first step? In their three-game losing streak, forget their three-game losing streak. How about this? Their last four games overall. So that includes a win over Iowa State, by the way. He has a combined five points in the last four games. Not great at math. I'm not saying that I could get five points in four Big 12 games. I could make it interesting, though. That's what Kansas has gotten from their starting point guard. And then I think the other thing that's worth noting, I can't believe I just did the whole, I could do that thing. I know I couldn't. Um, the other thing is, is that um, they brought in a transfer, Kevin McCuller from Texas Tech. And if you remember Texas Tech last year, Chris Beard leaves, Mark Adams comes in, and Kevin McCuller was one of the guys that stayed. Averaged 10.5 points per game last year. This year he transfers to Kansas looking for a bigger role. He's another guy that's just not getting the job done. You look at what he has done. He's averaging uh, ten and a half points per game, but his shooting percentages is his shooting percentages are down, and he's just not the player that people were expecting him to be when he transferred. I thought he was one of the two or three best transfers in the portal. He's averaging ten and a half points per game, but again, num uh, uh, minutes are up, shooting percentages down, um, assists are down. I don't think they've really figured out how to use him. The one thing I will say for Kansas, really quick. This does feel like a team. I'm just going to say it. I trust Bill Self. And I know I've been critical of Bill Self on this podcast, and I know I've said some things about Bill Self. One thing you can't deny about Bill Self, that dude, he figures it out. And so if I'm a Kentucky fan, even though they've lost three in a row, I'm not feeling great going into this weekend because Bill Self has a way of turning things around when you least expect it. Not saying he does this particular weekend, I'm just saying that Kansas in the big picture, I think they're okay. The one thing I will say, Big 12 is really good. The Big 12 is really good this year. They're probably going to have eight out of the 10 teams in that league are going to make the NCAA tournament. So the one thing about the Big 12, you never really get right. You can never just go on a five-game winning streak in the Big 12. But I do trust Kansas because I trust Bill Self. Finally, let's get to some Tuesday results. How about that? We just did like 25 minutes on two games from Monday. I do want to talk Tuesday, though. And you know what the big result from Tuesday was. Well, there's a couple big results. One, Iowa State beats Kansas State. Big 12, as I said, is fascinating because you look at that score and Iowa State, I, listen, Iowa State is really well coached. TJ Otzelberger, I think, is maybe the most underrated coach in college basketball three-way tie atop the Big 12 standings does not include Kansas, by the way. Kansas State, Texas, Iowa State sitting at 6-2 and two apiece. How about TCU? TCU smacked Kansas on Saturday, and then they smacked Oklahoma on Tuesday night. TCU's tied for, tied for fifth place with Kansas. So those are, the, I think, maybe the two best teams in the league. But right now, the top three are Kansas, Tex Kansas State, Texas, and Te uh, Iowa State all at 6-2. and two. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday. 
I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather. Now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire. Huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchases, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. But I want to get to the other big result from Tuesday night. And it came at Memorial Gym in Nashville, Tennessee, where the Kentucky Wildcats, and listen, Was I one of many who left them for dead? I was. Was I one that did a video on Instagram saying the Calipari Calipari era was over after the loss to South Carolina? Oh, I sure did. Well, Kentucky just won its fourth straight game, beating Vanderbilt in a game that they absolutely dominated from start to finish. Final score, 69-53. to Kentucky was up by nine points at at halftime. And they never really let up from there. And so what I want to say about Kentucky, and I talked about it a little bit on Monday's show. I was somebody who, even when Kentucky beat Tennessee, even when they started to turn a corner, I wasn't totally sold on this Kentucky team because I have gone with the ebbs and flows of Kentucky. And I think this is just part of covering college basketball. Kentucky is, I would argue, the biggest brand in college basketball, the biggest fan base. So you kind of ebb and flow with the fan base. It's like covering the NBA. You got to talk Lakers every day. And so when the Lakers are good, you you get really high on the Lakers. And when the Lakers are bad, you get really low on. And so I bring it up because listen, I I was a guy that was saying, listen, I'm not going to pretend that I did not do a rant on Instagram saying the Kentucky, the John Calipari era is dead as we know it, but they've now won four straight. And I would argue that Tuesday night was the most impressive. Let me explain why. The Tennessee game two weeks ago, nobody expects, okay. The Georgia game last week at home, okay, that's a game that it was close at the half. They could have lost that game. Texas A&M was close. This was the most confident that I've seen this team play. And here's the thing that I would take it a step further. Beyond that, Kentucky has officially found its lineup. And its lineup is playing those three guards. I know that they don't technically start. I know that the starting lineup is the two forwards, uh, Toppin and Livingston alongside Oscar Shibway with Kaysen Walls and CJ Frederick in the backcourt. But we all know that the, the lineup that everybody wants is with Antonio Reeves, the transfer guard off the bench in that lineup. And it works. I could go on and on. I'm not going to. But this was a Kentucky team that, again, a few weeks ago scored 53 points in a loss to UCLA. This was a Kentucky team. That scored 68 points at home to South Carolina. And this was a team that went to Vanderbilt, controlled the the tempo from start to finish, dominated the game 69 to 53. But most importantly, they won 69 to 53 in a game. How about this? They attempted two free throws the entire game, two free throws. And so what stands out to me about Kentucky, they found the lineup. They have, they, they have unlocked everything and they are now on a four game winning streak going into Kansas. This is a team that I'll just say it. Listen, I don't want to overreact, but I'll say a couple things about this. One, you start to look around college basketball 
Just I'm just asking you, with the way Kentucky is playing right now, a couple things stand out. Just in the SEC, I've said on this show, I'm not going to back down from it. I think Alabama might be the best team in the country right now. But you get past Alabama, who in the SEC is better than Kentucky right now? Because Tennessee is right now, as I record, 6-1 in SEC play. Kentucky won in Knoxville. Texas A&M is 5-1 in SEC play. Kentucky beat Texas A&M at Rupp Arena. And so this team is trending in the right direction in the SEC. But I'll say it nationally. Tell me the team that this Kentucky team can't beat in college basketball this year. I don't think it exists. We just Kansas is a top 10 team. They're on a three-game losing streak. We're going to find out about Kansas because they go to Rupp Arena this weekend. Tennessee is a top five team. Kentucky beat them. Kansas State's a top five team. I think they might not have a single player who's ever played a tournament game on that roster. Houston is really good, but they're not unbeatable. Purdue's really good, but they're not unbeatable. Arizona's a top 10 team that's already taken losses to Washington State and Oregon. So I could go on and on, but Kentucky has found the lineup, and I just think this team is turning a corner. What I would finally say about Kentucky, and I think this is important because I have to take, I, I have to repeatedly take L's when I have a strong opinion on something and I'm proven dead wrong. I have to take an L. And so what I want to do now is not really a mea culpa, but what I want to do now, I want to make a promise to you. Because on this show, I remember after the UCLA game, I said on this show that for years I've always defended Cal because I said there is nobody that is better at every element of being the Kentucky basketball coach than John Calipari. There's nobody better at the media, the PR, the recruiting, the in-game, the out-of-game, the press conferences, the this, the that. And I said after the UCLA game, I said, I can't say that anymore because this is a team that is not only not beating the teams that they're supposed to beat, they're not beating the, the, the high-level teams that are elite that Kentucky is defined by. Well, I have made a decision on Kentucky basketball and on John Calipari. I promise you, I promise you, and I sincerely mean this, I am never going to call for John Calipari's job ever again on this show, and let me explain why. By the way, could be coaching until he's 85, like Jim Boeheim, and I know Jim Boeheim's like 76, but you get the point. John, John Calipari could be coaching when he's 85 in 2043, and I'm not going to be calling for his job, and let me explain why. It's because as I look at the potential candidate pool out there for the Kentucky job, this is what struck me about John Calipari over, over the last two weeks since that South Carolina loss. Beat Tennessee at, on the road. Beat Texas A&M at home. Smack Vandy on Tuesday. They have a team that's potentially good enough to make a deep run in the tournament. And what struck me about John Calipari, if you want to run him out of town, just understand there is not a single coach in college basketball, not a single coach in basketball that you can replace him with that guarantees this. Because if you have John Calipari, sometimes you're going to win the tournament. One time, 2012. It's been 11 years. I get that. But he's made a lot of Elite Eight since then, a couple Final Four since then, all that. Played for a title in 2014. And what struck me is, essentially, you take out the COVID year and you take out the year after they won the national championship where they lost everybody. John Calipari, every other year, has had a team good enough to win the national championship. And if you run John Calipari out of town, I promise you, there is not a single coach in college basketball with college basketball that you can replace him with that guarantees you a chance to win the title every single year. Listen, there's a lot of great coaches in college basketball. I'm not going to name them, but do the math in your head. 
if you could somehow get Billy Donovan out of the NBA, Billy Donovan doesn't guarantee you a chance to win the national championship every year. Um, Scott Drew doesn't win you. doesn't guarantee you a chance to win the national championship every year. Uh, I'm, you know, Kentucky fans, you know who your candidates are. They've had ebbs and flows, peaks and valleys. John Calipari for 13 years. If this season keeps going on the way that we think it's going to go on is going to have a team that's good enough to win it this year. Don't know if it's going to happen. Probably won't because only one team can win it all. But then next year, you're going to have a team good enough to win it as well. So that's my final thought on John Calipari and coach uh, Kentucky and John Calipari. I have been guilty of getting caught up in the moment and saying he's not the guy. I'm never going to do that again because there is no coach in college basketball that guarantees you a chance to compete every single year the way that he does. All right, I think that's it for this episode of the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. How about that for a show? Just spitting nothing but facts from a hotel room. That's all I do all day, every day. What a week. College hoops is ramping up, and we are fired up. If you're not subscribed, tell you what, now is a heck of a time to start. Make sure you're subscribed. Apple, Spotify, Amazon, Amazon Podcasts, Google Podcasts, wherever you subscribe, make sure you subscribe to the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. Also, make sure to rate and review the show. Go ahead, give us a quick five stars. Let us know what you like, what you don't like, all that good stuff. Make sure you're following on social media at Aaron underscore Torres on Twitter, at Aaron Torres Pod on Instagram. By the way, I said it to lead the show. The Aaron Torres Pod YouTube page, 20K subscribers. Thank you guys and girls for your support. And if you're not subscribed there, please make sure to do so. That is all for today's show. It is time for me to get out of here. Thank you guys and girls for doing what you do. Shout out to Torque. Shout out to Rachel, who hates my voice. Shout out to JJ Reddick, you F-head. Unblock me, bro. I'll be back on Friday. New episode, Aaron Torres Pop. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.